Take your Bibles, please, today and turn back with me to Acts chapter number 6. Thank you so much, worship team, as always. You did a fantastic job this morning leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. I love all the new songs that we sing. What a blessing they are. But I tell you what, man, when I hear the good old amazing grace, it's just hard to beat that, isn't it? Um, I was sitting back there thinking as we were singing that. I think a lot of times we heard these songs over and over and over and over again. And if we're not careful, they become commonplace to us. And they shouldn't because there is so much power packed in those words. When it says that grace is what taught our hearts to fear. Do you remember that time in your life when the grace of God began teaching your heart to fear? When you begin to realize your need for a Savior, when you begin to see that, listen, you are hopeless and helpless without Jesus. I remember that in my life. I remember when the Holy Spirit of God began convicting my heart by the grace of God. And man, how powerful that was for me. And I, just, I had to come to the place where I just fell down hopeless and helpless before the Lord Jesus and, uh, and ask Him to save me. And, and I'm so thankful that just like the song says, it was certainly God's grace that caused my heart to fear, that showed me my need for a Savior, but it was also God's grace that, that my fears relieved. Can you say amen? Listen, He brought peace to my heart, peace that has not left. The Bible talks about it like this. It says, peace that passeth all understanding. And so if you're here today, and you've not yet known the peace of God that passes all understanding. Maybe the Holy Spirit of God, by God's grace, is beginning to teach your heart to fear, even at this time. If that's you, I've got good news for you. The same God who has saved me by His grace can and will save you by His grace if you'll trust Him today. And uh, for that, I'm so very thankful. We're looking in Acts chapter 6. We've been preaching through the book of Acts because we want to see... Um, what a spirit-filled, Christ-honoring, people-loving, New Testament church looks like. And that's exactly what we find in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is an eyewitness account of what Jesus is doing through His people, through His church, by the person of the precious Holy Spirit. And so we're seeing on the book of Acts a church that is experiencing a great revival. It's a powerful, victorious church in the midst of revival that God is using greatly. We're seeing people saved by the thousands that we've been, since we've been studying in these first six chapters. We're seeing them healed physically by the power of God, but we're also seeing God heal uh, spiritually by His power. And that's the only way we can truly be healed spiritually and physically. It's, it's but by the power of God. And so we're seeing that right here on the pages of Scripture in the book of Acts. Now, even though God is working in a fantastic way right here in the early church, we're, we've also saw that problems have risen. And folks, how many of you understand this morning that as long as you've got a bunch of imperfect sinners gathering together in a group in whatever setting you want to talk about, you're going to have problems. Can you say amen to that? I don't care where you go or what you do. Whether we're talking about the setting of a church or we're talking about your, the setting of your workplace, when you've got a bunch of imperfect people gathering together, you're going to have problems. I want you to know there are no perfect churches. There are no perfect pa pastors. There are no perfect people sitting on the pew. And folks, if I do find a, a perfect church, I'm not going to go there because if I go there, I'm just going to mess it up. The truth is this, we've all got problems, we've all, uh, folks, uh, got hang-ups, we've all need the grace of God, but guess what, we're going to love you right here at Mount Zion, warts and all, 
<laughs> because we realize that all of us have imperfections. All of us have things in our life that we need God's grace to help us through. And so there's problems in every people, in every church. And that's what we found even in the first church where God uh, is working in such a fantastic way. We've seen that last week. And we've seen how God can turn problems into possibilities. And that's what I want us to get a hold of. I'm going to try to finish up where we started last week. I didn't get quite to go into in-depth in some of these things like we wanted to last time we were together. So I want to look back at that this morning. How many of you believe this morning that God is a sovereign God? Now, what do I mean by sovereign this is one of my favorite truths about the Lord. I, 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 there's many things I like about the Lord, but this is one of my favorite. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And the word sovereign simply means that God is in control in all places at all times. If you believe it, say amen. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Now, because he is the sovereign God of the universe, he can take problems and turn them into possibilities, listen to me now, so that we might honor and glorify him. He can take bad things or things we perceive to be bad and turn them around and work them for our good so that we might glorify him throughout our lives. And folks, I've seen that to be true in my own life, in my own family. It's amazing how God can take terrible things, turn them around and use them for his good, our good and his glory. He does it continually, and he does that because he is sovereign. See, God, the Bible teaches, is first of all omnipotent. That's just a big word that means God is all-powerful. Omni meaning all, potent meaning powerful. God is all-powerful. There's nothing God cannot do. If you believe it, say amen today. God is still able. He has not changed. The God that we read about on the page of the Scripture is still the God we serve um, this morning if you are a child of God. He is our Heavenly Father and He is all-powerful. Let me tell you something else though. God is also omniscient. That means He knows all things. Omni meaning all, science meaning knowledge. God has all knowledge, listen to me, of everybody. That means He knows what's on my mind. He knows what's on your mind. He knows my thoughts, your thoughts. He knows what happened yesterday, what will happen tomorrow. He has complete knowledge of everybody at all time, past present and future. God is omnipotent. God is all-knowing, but let me say something else. God is also omnipresent. How many of you are thankful today that God is omnipresent? That's a blessing for me. I love my children, love my wife, and, and, and I pray this prayer daily. God, I can't be with them today. I don't know where they are. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they're going to face. I don't know what's going to come against them. But I do know this, God. I know that you are able. And I know you are present. And so I'm just praying for them continually that the God who is omnipresent is everywhere at all times. When I can't be there for them, he can certainly be there for them. Wow. And because God can do all things, and because God knows all things, and because God is everywhere at all times, listen, He has sovereignty in this universe. He can do what we can't do. He can take the problems that we find in our church from time to time, and He can turn them into possibilities to bring Him glory. He can take problems that we find 
in our marriages, husbands and wives, and turn them into a possibility to honor and glorify Him. He can take problems in your home, in your family, and turn them into a possibility to honor and glorify Him. He can take problems at your workplace and turn them into a possibility to honor and glorify Him. He can take problems at your school, young people, and turn them into a possibility to honor and to glorify Him. He can get a straight lick with a crooked stick. God can take the bad or what we perceive or see to be bad and do great things with it. Isn't that awesome? I heard Dr. David Jeremiah say something one time that it's always stuck with me. He said he'd take our mess and make a message out of it. That's true. That's exactly what God does. But we have to learn to do life God's way. And when problems arise, we don't fall to pieces because of it. We just keep trusting Jesus. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says that problems in a church is uh, good because it allows us to do three things. First of all, it allows us to examine our church. And I think that's a good thing. We need to examine where we are, where we have growing room, and what we need to be doing according to the standard of Scripture. It allows us to examine our church. It allows us to exercise our faith. and It allows us to express our love. So all of these, God works in and through his body of believers to take our problems, listen to me now, and turn them into possibilities so that he might be glorified. That's what we've seen there in Acts chapter 6. And he did it because there were some people who were being left out in the ministry. There was a problem. Let's look at the problem, and I'll do this very quickly. It's, a lot of this is review. But in Acts 6, 1, it says, And in those days when the number of the disciples were, was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglecting the daily ministration. So they had a food ministry where they were feeding the needy widows there in the community. And, and listen to me now. Some of them were being neglected. Now, I, again, let me make this clear to you. I don't think by anything that I read in Scripture that anybody meant to neglect anybody. It wasn't like they loved the Hebrew widows more than they loved the Hebrew-speaking widows more than they loved the Greek-speaking widows. That wasn't the case. But the church had grown at such a rapid pace that some people fell through the cracks. Now, listen, this really wasn't anybody's fault. It's just sometimes what happens among imperfect people. Can you say amen? Even when we're trying to do our best. So nobody tries to leave anybody out. And I want you to know something. Listen, if you feel as though you've been left out in this body of believers, first of all, let me apologize to you. Nobody meant to leave anybody out. I want everybody to be a part. I want to minister and serve all people. I want to be your pastor. And so if anybody got left out, nobody wants that. But from time to time, it does happen. And it happened here, even in this growing, powerful, victorious church where revival was breaking out. It was happening there. Now, there's also a solution that we need to see. They prayed about it. They thought about it. Verse 2 says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So what these men said, what we need to be doing is praying and preparing to preach the word of God unto the people because how many of you know, through the preaching of the word of God, the truth is realized and the truth is what sets us free. And so they said, we don't want to leave the preparing and the praying for the preaching so that we might serve tables. So what they said was, 
Verse number three, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. They said, we need to get seven men that will be willing to serve. Now, the, the, we know these are the first deacons of the first church. Even though the word deacon is not used here, that's exactly what these men were. You see deacon in, uh, used in the book of 1 Timothy. You see the, the word deacon used in Philippians. And the word deacon is a, comes from a Greek word with, which actually is diakonos. And diakonos simply means to serve. And so they said, we've got to get seven deacons or seven diakonos, seven servants who are willing to meet the needs that we have here. Now listen to me. You say, well, Brother Israel, I understand that we have deacons who are supposed to serve, but that's really not for me because I'm not a deacon. Well, you may not have the title of deacon. You may not be a diakonos, but let me say this. Even though you don't have the title, we all as the children of God are called to serve. As a matter of fact, each and every one of us have been saved to serve. Now, the scripture I'm about to read to you right here in verse number three, these qualifications of these men, that is certainly for those who are called to be deacons. But listen, these qualifications that I am about to give you are also for all of us if we're going to be effective servants in the work of the Lord. If you agree with me, say amen this morning. So this applies to each and every one of us. We have been saved for a glorious purpose, and that glorious purpose is so that we might serve God. We talk about around here that we love God and we love people, that we serve God and we serve people, and that we encounter God and we encounter people. That is our mission. That is our goal in everything that we do. We love God. We uh, love people. We serve God. We serve people. We love God by serving people. And we need some servants. We need some people who are willing to follow the Lord in whatever God leads you to do. We're, we, we need some folks who are willing to step up to the plate and be that missing link that is needed in ministry all around this place. If you're looking for ways to serve, listen, get with me. I promise you we can find a place for you to serve in. There's a place for you. Right here. Man, we've got a food ministry on Wednesday nights that needs servants. We've got a WMU ministry that needs servants. We've got a Baptist Mental Missions ministry that needs servants. Listen, we've got a small group ministry that needs servants. We've got a children's ministry that needs servants. We've got a youth ministry that needs servants. We need people who are willing to fill the gap. Like I've told you before, everybody wants a great church, a powerful church, a growing church, but few want to be a part of being and making a great church and a powerful church and a growing church. It takes servants. And brothers and sisters, listen to me. Service in the Lord, for the Lord, and in the church, is, it's not something that is burdensome, it's a blessing. You will never ever experience the joy that God has for you and wants for you until you are willing to be a servant. Let me tell you what happens. When we choose not to serve, usually what happens, we sit on a pew and we begin to sour. And we had a whole lot of sour Christians sitting on church pews that are not serving and missing out on the great blessing and the joy of the Lord that comes through being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
we've we've got to get busy in this thing. Let me prove to you from the Word of God that we have certainly been saved to serve. Go to 1 Corinthians with me. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want you to look down at uh, three verses this morning, starting with verse number 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, very familiar verse. All of you know this. Look what it says. Therefore... If any man be in Christ. Now, I love J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee always says in his commentaries that anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to see what it's there for. And boy, he's right. Because after therefore usually comes some powerful, powerful truth that certainly impacts our lives as believers. He says, if any man be in Christ. How many of you understand those who have been born again into God's family you went from being outside of Jesus outside of the promise, outside of the family to now being in Jesus, in the family and partakers of the promises of God your position has changed you are now in Jesus (laughs) wow, I love that Now, now let me see if you can tell the difference, I remember when I was a little boy, I loved Sesame Street anybody else love Sesame Street? Now, there was always something that happened on Sesame Street um, that, that made sense to me when I was just a little bitty thing, about knee-high to a grasshopper, and they would show you the difference in being in and out. Do you remember that? There'd be a little Muppet come up on the screen, and they'd say, uh, out, and then they'd stand there by the door and just smile, and then they'd say, in. Then they'd say, what would they say? Out. And then they'd say, They'd say what? In, right. And so you saw the difference in how their position had changed. Amen. There was a moment when they changed from being out to being in. Now, in in what we looked at this morning, when did that moment occur? How did did this moment occur that I went from being out to being in? When did that happen? Well, it's when I walked through the door, was it not? See, you have to walk through the door if you're going to go from being out to being in. Let me say something to you. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the... No, he says, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. What he's saying is, if you want to come in, if you want to be inside the family of God, if you want to be partakers of the promise, if you want to be, listen, in Christ, you've got to go through the door, and he is the door. There has to have been a moment in your life when you went from being outside to inside. There has to be a time when you've placed your faith in Christ and walked through the door. And if you've never done that, today's the day. Today's the day. What are you waiting on? God's done everything necessary for you to be born again into the family of God. And and the Apostle Paul says, those who've trusted in Christ are now in Jesus. They're in Christ. It says that he is a new creature. You've, You've been made a new. You are now something that's never been before. A new creation in Christ Jesus. And listen, God has created you for an awesome purpose. Just like he's created all of his creation for a purpose. How many of you know a fish is always happiest when the fish is swimming? A monkey is always happiest when they're swinging from the tree. 
I used to have a dog that just done what a dog does. This dog we had picked up in Clinton, Arkansas on vacation. You, some of you parents know what I'm talking about. We, we're driving by Walmart in Clinton, Arkansas. We was on vacation and saw a, a baby bed out there that folks had about 10 puppies in. And as soon as we went by, we saw a big sign on a, on a piece of plywood that said free puppies. And my little girl saw that. Anna Kate said, Dad, uh, please, let's stop and look at the puppies. And I said, Honey, we don't need another dog. I don't want no, another dog. And, and so, please, Daddy, stop. Let's just look at them. We ain't got to get one. I just want to see them. And so, like a moron, I wheeled around into the parking lot. And she picks up one of those puppies, starts rubbing the hair off of it. I mean, just, Daddy, I want this one. I love this one. Oh, I can't wait to get this home. It's going to be my puppy. And I said, no, we're just looking. We ain't taking one with us. And the lady who was giving away the puppies saw what was going on, and she said, sir, she needs that puppy. And I said, I guess she does. And I'll never forget, we took that dog home. It rode with us in the car all the way from Clinton, Arkansas. Just flea bag. Mixed up dog. My grandpa used to call him the Heinz 57 dog. He's got a little bit of everything, you know, mixed in together. Just a mutt. She loved that dog. We got that thing home. After about two nights, we finally got her to take it out of her room. She At that time, she was probably five, six years old, and she had a little box that she had it in her room, and the dog started getting out of the box and getting all over the house, so we decided it was time to get the dog out of the house and, and out in the yard. And after about that second night, it's out in the yard, and guess what it starts doing about 2 o'clock in the morning? It's whining and barking. Roo, 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 roo. And it's doing it right outside my window. Over and over and over and over again. And I'm hollering at the dog and threatening the dog and even went outside one time and sprayed the dog with the water hose. None of that worked. You may tell you why none of it worked. Because a dog is created to bark. That's what dogs do. And if you're a dog, you're going to bark. Can you say Amen. He said, brother, what in the world does that have to do with us? Well, it has everything to do with us. We have been created anew in Christ Jesus. And for the Christian, we have been created so that we might serve. It is our purpose. Just like that dog is created to bark and that monkey is created to climb the tree and that fish is created to swim in the river. Listen, we have been created anew in Christ Jesus so that we might be servants. I'm telling you this morning, we have been saved so that we might serve. And you'll never be happy in your Christian walk. You'll never experience the joy of the Lord like He wants you to have until you get busy in service. So find a way that you can serve in your local body so that God might be glorified and you might fulfill your purpose that you've been saved to fulfill. He tells us here in verse number 18, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us, watch this now, the ministry. Everybody say ministry. Ministry is translated service. He says, you have been given the service, the ministry of what? Reconciliation. In any way that God allows you to serve in his body. And guess what? He does allow you to do that for it is a privilege. 
Do you know whatever God gives me to do? Listen, it's not that I have to do it, but it is that I get to do it because I'm working for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That means Sunday school teacher, when you go to your Sunday school class, listen, you go in there walking in the joy of the Lord, filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit so that you may honor and glorify God because you are working, you are serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When you're praying the prayer, singing the song, guess what you do? You go in there with joy in your heart, praise God, to your prayer room, to your prayer closet, and you bring your petitions before the Lord knowing that you are serving God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And whatever God gives you the privilege to do, it has an end goal. And that end goal is to reconcile others to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the ministry of reconciliation. The message I'm preaching, I'm preaching because I want to see people reconciled. Brought into right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever ministry God's given you to do, whether you're a it's song ministry or teaching ministry or prayer warrior or whatever it is, listen to me folks. We're to do that to the end of reconciling others to the Lord Jesus. And it's serious business. Service is serious. We ought to take it serious. So we've all been saved to serve. Now, there's three qualifications in Acts 6 that we would all do well, listen to me now, to apply to our lives so that we might be the most effective service we, servant we could be. In verse number 3 of Acts 6, he says, Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men, watch this now, of honest report. Now, what's it mean that they're to have an honest report? Well, they're to have an honest report in two places. They're to have an honest report inside the body of Christ, and they're to have an honest report outside the body of Christ. If you believe it, say amen. Now, what's that mean? If you're going to have an honest report inside the body of Christ, let me tell you what you've got to be. You've got to be faithful to the things of God. I remember a dear brother in Christ that I, rem I remember as just a child, Brother Tom Pitts. You may remember Brother Tom. I love Brother Tom Pitts, a faithful man of God, faithful member of Kemp Chapel Baptist Church. And I was, as I was growing up, I saw what it meant to be a faithful man of God by looking at that brother. I'm telling you, he was always faithful in all things uh, to the Lord. And that so much impressed me and taught me what it meant to serve Jesus. I'm telling you, he was faithful. When the doors were open to the church, praise God, he was there. And how many of you know we need some faithful people that are not going to forsake the assembling of yourselves together? Hebrews 10, 25 says it like this. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, how many of you know we've got an appointed time for worship? Let me tell you when those are. It's Sunday morning. It's Sunday night. And it's Wednesday night. And so if we're having an appointed time of worship, be careful not to forsake those things because, listen, when you forsake the assembling, you miss out on what God wants for you. You're going to miss out on the truth of the word of God, encouragement from the believers. Being in the presence of God with the people of God and the place of God, that's an amazing thing. Don't miss out on that. God has something for you here. So be faithful to coming to church. Let me tell you something else. Be faithful to the reading of the word of God. If you want to have a good report inside the church, be faithful to what God's word says. The scripture says, 2 Timothy 2.15, that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be faithful to the study of the word of God if you want to have a good report inside the church. Be faithful to prayer if you want to have a good report inside the church. Can you say amen? 
I want to be somebody that someone is confident enough in to come and say, look what, look, brothers, I need prayer in this area. I want you to pray for my mama, pray for my sister, pray for my kids. Man, what a privilege that is that people would have enough confidence in you to pray for them. Be faithful in prayer. Faithful in study of the Word of God. Faithful in being in service. Now, let me tell you what the, the sad thing is. A lot of people see this as little things. They really do. I mean, people don't see that any of these things that I've mentioned as being real big things, but they want God to do big things in their life. They want God to use them mightily, and all that's good. Well, I want God to use me mightily too. I want God to do big things in my life too. But let me tell you what I've realized. When you are faithful to the little things, you can expect God to do the big things. Be faithful to coming to church. Be faithful in reading the word. Be faithful in praying. Be faithful in all these things. And what we sometimes consider little things, and I promise you, you can expect big things. According to Luke 16, 10, that's what Jesus says. He who is faithful in little things, God will bless with the big things. So if you want to have an honest report inside the church, be faithful. If you want to have an honest report outside the church, listen, don't be a hypocrite. Don't live one way on Sunday and live a different way on Monday. Whatever the Lord finds your hand to do, do it as you're working under the Lord. Not as men pleasers, but so that you might please God. So when you go to your workplace, live out your faith on Monday just like you living out your faith on Sunday. And as God gives you an opportunity to work and provide for your family, do it with everything in you as you're working under the Lord. And I'll promise you, you'll have a good report outside the church. Just like you'll have a good report inside the church if you're faithful to the things of God. You might have got to have a good report if you're going to be an effective servant. Let me say something else. Watch this. He says, then to be full of the Holy Ghost. I love this. Brothers, put for me on the screen Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18. The Apostle Paul says something to us. He says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but he says, be filled with the Spirit. We are commanded in many places throughout the New Testament, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, he uses the analogy here of a man drunk with wine and one filled with the Spirit. Now, how many of you know someone who has had uh, too much wine is controlled by that substance? I was, just a few years ago, I got very involved in disc golf. Loved it, man. I was addicted to disc golf. I had a problem. I mean, I was there... Um, at least four or five times a week. And man, every time I could play, I was playing. And I started playing tournaments and going here and there and playing different places. And um, I never forget three or four years ago, I uh, went down to Jasper to what they called the Oktoberfest Disc Golf Tournament. And I thought when they said Oktoberfest, it just meant it was in October. And I found out very quickly when I got down to the tournament, there was a lot more going on there than just disc golf. And they had all these craft beer companies that came and were set up there in the disc golf course, and it was free beer for everybody. And you say, well, brother, what'd you do? Did you leave? I, no, I didn't leave. I played the tournament. Praise God, the best shot of women winning I've ever had. Because after a while, 
all that free beer that everybody was drinking was having an effect on how they was throwing them discs. And that first round I did pretty good because the effects hadn't took full control of what was going on there. That beer hadn't took control that they were getting filled with. That, that first round I did okay. But let me tell you something. That second round, I wore them all out. Got second in the tournament. Me and the, other, the only other sober guy there. <laughs> it was awesome. Now listen to me. I found out right then, maybe you found out as well, that if you are full of alcohol, it will control you. It'll make you do things that maybe you don't want to do or don't need to do. It'll have control over you physically, over your body. Now listen, the Apostle Paul says, for the child of God not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. So what he's saying is, as we are, the, our drunk man is filled with wine and that wine has control over his body, we are to be filled with the Spirit so the Spirit might have control of us. And if we're going to be an effective servant, we've got to allow God the Holy Spirit to control us each and every day. To lead God and direct us. Brother Ben, just like he's talking about this morning, to teach us the precious Word of God. Man, how important that is. One of my great heroes of the faith is the man Stephen that's mentioned right here in Acts chapter 6. Stephen was, a, the Bible says, one of the first deacons, one of the first servants called for the church there in the early church. Now, if you go on and do a study of Stephen, you're going to find something. His life exemplified fullness. I'm going to give you some scripture. The Bible says he was full of the Spirit in Acts 6.10. The Bible says he was full of wisdom in Acts 6.10. The Bible says he was full of faith in Acts 6, 5. The Bible says he was full of power in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 8. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man like Stephen who was full of the things of God. And it starts for me and it starts for you with being full of the Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit of God in everything we do. I want to be full of the Spirit and controlled by Him as I parent my children. How about you, parents? I want to be full of the Spirit and controlled by Him when I'm a husband to my wife. How about you, husbands? I want to be full of the Spirit and controlled by Him as I pastor this church. I want to be full of the Spirit and controlled by Him as I witness in my community. I want to be full of the Spirit and controlled by Him as God uses me in service to the Lord and service to people. Just like Stephen. May your life and my life exemplify the fullness of God as God controls us in every situation. We need men and women of honest report. We need men and women who are full of the Holy Spirit. We need men and women who, listen to me now, are full of wisdom. The scripture says that wisdom is far more precious than gold and silver. It's true. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability for you and I to make God-honoring decisions throughout our life. Now, there's no way that we will ever walk in wisdom and make God-honoring decisions throughout our life. That's never going to happen unless 
We have a knowledge of what God's Word says. Knowledge of the Word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit helps us to walk in wisdom that God is pleased with. And we need some wise folks. Let me give you three truths about wisdom and I'm done. Very quickly, so let me read these to you. The Scripture says, first of all, that it is a fool who chooses not to walk in wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 5. The scripture says, anybody who needs wisdom or wants wisdom, all we got to do is ask for it. James 1 and 5. If anybody likes wisdom, all you got to do is ask of the Lord and he'll give to you liberally. That means as much as you can handle and then some of the wisdom of God if you'll just ask him for it. So if you need it, ask him. And again, Proverbs 16, 16 says it plainly, that wisdom is far more precious than gold and silver. We need servants. You've been saved to serve, child of God. And if you're going to be an effective servant, you certainly need honest report inside the church and outside the church. You need to be full controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And you need to walk in wisdom according to the knowledge of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need servants. Amen? Amen. People who are willing to stand in the gap and be what God saved you to be for the end goal of bringing people into right relationship with the Lord Jesus. Everybody stand up. Now listen, you can't serve Jesus unless you know Jesus. You can't be a part of what God is doing outside of Christ, outside of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be a part of what He's doing. There has to have been a time when you were you knew you were on the outside, but you went through the door and got on the inside. And if that's never happened for you, listen, I got good news. Today it can. I'm not talking about you just getting baptized or you just trying to clean your act up. I'm talking about has there ever been a time in your life when the Holy Spirit of God convicted your heart and let you know that you needed Jesus? And you trusted fully in Christ as Savior. And you know you were born again. If that's never happened to you, today is the day. Oh, listen, trust Him. Trust Him. Walk through the door by faith. If you need to do that today, this invitation is for you. You come. You may be here and you know you've been born again. But God is leading you to serve right here at Mount Zion. You may say, Brother, I've prayed about it. This is where I know God wants me to serve. Maybe it's time today for you to join this fellowship of believers. Let's get in here and get busy with what God has for us. I told you this before. I'll tell you again. Listen, 
If you've not been saved, the invitation is for you to come and let us help you. If you have been saved, your invitation is so that you might come and help us. Be the servant God saved you to be. Whatever you need today, you come. Maybe as a child of God, you've just failed the Lord and you know there's things in your life that God is not pleased with. Let me say something to you. God cannot use a dirty vessel. But if you will confess your sin to Him, the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and then you can be about the business you've been saved to be about. You can be the servant God wants you to be. Maybe you need to be baptized. If that's the case, you've been saved, you've never been baptized, today make that decision. We can handle all those things. Don't you wait today. Don't grieve the Spirit. You come as God leads. Brother, play for us.